How should we respond when we hear bad news? I don't know what kind of week you've had. Maybe some of you have received some bad news this last week. We've already been praying in our service today for the Moore family who just some weeks ago received very bad news. Other members of our church family over the last weeks, months, years have sometimes received devastating news. How, how do we respond in those moments? Lindsay and I this week, we received news of some test results that had come back for a beloved dear sister in another community of faith in Aberdeen. And it was bad news. These moments, they shock us. They land heavily. Maybe we can sometimes remember where we were standing or sitting when some news came to us that shocked us and saddened us. And in many ways, for us as a, a culture just now, as a society, we are kind of repeatedly having to respond to, to difficult news. And I've tried to figure out what do we do in light of that. It's a serious issue. How do we respond when we hear bad news? Well, that's one of the things that we're going to turn to in the chapter that we're going to look at today. One of the things I love about the Bible is it doesn't sweep the hard realities of life under the carpet, but it deals with them head on, chapter after chapter, all the different genres of the Bible, all the different books of the Bible. We, we have example after example of people who encountered devastating circumstances, and we have the example of how they responded to those. And here we are today in Nehemiah chapter 1, and, and this is a new moment in the story of Ezra, Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter Chapters 1 to 7 are told from the voice of Nehemiah himself. And in many ways, we're, we're still looking at the same themes that we've been looking at already. This, these themes of returning, renewing God and, and rebuilding. That is, how will we respond when faced with desolation, difficulty, struggle? What are we to do in those moments? And at the start of Nehemiah chapter 1, it's another one of those moments. He asks for an update on how things are going in Jerusalem. So you might remember there's been this awful exile for, for decades and then there's this return of God's people to Jerusalem and there's all the hope that comes with that and Nehemiah wants to know how's it going and, and he gets his answer in verse 3. Let's read it there. He says, they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. So we've seen this. As with Ezra, there are a number of challenges that God's people encounter. Here now is another challenge. The walls are broken down, the gates are on fire. And we have to remember the historical context. We're not just talking about some like garden wall that's fallen down and some random gate on the edge of town that's on fire. No, no, this is, we need to remember the significance of Jerusalem in, in the story of God's redemptive history. We're talking here at this time about this great city of God, the great place where, where God and his people were to know peace and togetherness. This is the holy city of God. Jerusalem at this point in, in, in redemptive history is the, is the locus of God's activity in the world. And this moment of return, renewal, rebuilding, seems again to be in tatters and Nehemiah is devastated as he hears this news 
And as we consider that, I want us to look at his reaction just now, because I think there are some lessons that we can glean for when we encounter bad, hard, difficult, devastating news. And obviously, Nehemiah is dealing with a particular historical moment, but I think these lessons are, are there for us, whether we're talking about life in the church or life in the culture or even just the personal challenges that we face. Here's the first thing. Nehemiah cares. He cares about what he hears. Verse four, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. Even though this news isn't really a personal reality for him, he's devastated. We see the seriousness of the situation here. Whether we can fully understand the historical context or not, we can see how serious this is for Nehemiah. He's weeping, he's mourning for many days. Here's the thing, Nehemiah's reaction is especially significant because it would have been very easy for him in particular to really not have cared about this too much at all. In the very last line of the chapter, we find out who he is. It says there, the last few words of, of chapter one, now I was cupbearer to the king. It's almost like a bit of a reveal at the end of this passage. Who is this? Who's this first person narrative about? Well, he's the cupbearer to the king. And, and, and that's significant because actually this was a, a position of particular significant prestige in that day. Nehemiah would have lived a very comfortable life. He literally tasted wine for a living. <laughs> he would have eaten well. He would have lived comfortably in, in nice surroundings. He had people around him that he would have been responsible for and in authority over. So it would have been very easy for him to forget about Jerusalem. That's 900 miles away. That's three months journey away. He's got plenty going on in his world, but he cared, he cared. Sometimes when we hear bad news, we can deal with it in less than ideal ways, especially if it's not about us personally. We can just kind of shelve it. Oh, I've got too much going on in my own world just now. I can't focus on that just now. Or we can just ignore it all together because we know that otherwise it would cause us a lot of difficulty. Or sometimes when we hear bad news about another situation, we can end up turning that in on, our, on ourselves rather than focus on the difficulty for the other person in, in their situation. But Nehemiah cared and he cared deeply. Why? Because he knew of the significance of the situation. Even though it wasn't really bothering his personal day-to-day -day life, he knew of the significance of this. On Monday, I had a Zoom call with a friend who's a missionary. He's a missionary here in Scotland, and he was just sharing how over the, the lockdown, he's really been praying and researching, just asking God, God, what can I do? What should we and the people around me, I and the people around me be doing to further your work? And he said he'd come across a government website which listed the numbers of those that had died in Scotland in 2019. And he was just reflecting on his knowledge of how many people would call Jesus their Lord and Savior. And, and he was looking at these numbers, the thousands of those who had died, and he was pondering what it meant there for, for those who had, as he put it, entered a Christless eternity. And he was just devastated by this, and he was heartbroken about it, and he was grieved by it, and he was stirred into action because of this reality. And I thought to myself, do I care enough? 
Do we care enough? By this hard news, which in some ways is, is, is three months away, 900 miles away, in some ways it can feel like that. Do I care about these things? In light of Jesus' words where he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's easy for that to feel distant as it could have for Nehemiah. But Nehemiah cared. He was devastated. That which should have spoken of God's splendor and loving activity in the world, that place, Jerusalem, was trampled. Do we care when God's splendor and his loving activity in the world is, is at best marginal and, and often is trampled? Do we care? Nehemiah did. Second thing in responding to hard news, he cared. Secondly, he prays. He prays. Before diving into any action, the first thing he does is to fast and pray. Now, Nehemiah is wired for action. One of the commentators, a guy called Derek Kidner, describes him as having, quote, a natural bent for swift and decisive action. We're going to see that in the coming weeks. But that's not Nehemiah's first priority. His first is to pray. It says through mourning and weeping, it says, verse 4, I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. It's so easy, isn't it, for prayer to get squeezed out. When bad news comes at us, we want to do something about it. And and there's different ways that we can do things about it. And I might think my way is the best and someone else might think that my way is most definitely not the best. So there's a discussion to be had about, okay, what strategy do we take? And and, and, and that can become the the, the focus. And and actually, those things are important. We're going to see Nehemiah take action in the coming days. But there's, that's not the first thing. There's a foundation from which those things happen. In this devastating moment, he turns to God. And, and, and in some ways, our response should be, well, where else could we turn? When faced with various challenges before us, we should weep, we should mourn, we should fast, we should pray. And in fact, sometimes when confronted with bad news, sometimes that's all that's called for. In that first moment, Rather than wanting to fix things, sometimes we just need to mourn and weep and pray and call out to God. Oh God, help us in this situation. Nehemiah cared. Nehemiah prayed. Thirdly, Nehemiah worshipped. Verse 5, he says, I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Before requests, before what's urgent, Nehemiah wants to get things in the right perspective and he worships in prayer. He actually prays here as Jesus taught us to pray. Remember Jesus says, pray, Father in heaven. Nehemiah verse 5, he says, O Lord God of heaven. And Jesus says, pray, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That is, may your name be known as hallowed, as holy in this world. And and that's that's how Nehemiah prays. He says, Oh Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God. This is Nehemiah hallowing, praising God's awesome name. And he goes on then in verse 5 to testify of God's awesome faithfulness, his covenant love. And we're going to come back to this. It's absolutely, absolutely central to how he prays in this chapter. But this reaction, what power there is in this reaction in response to bad news broken hearted fully surrendered 
raw, gritty worship of God, declaring that God, you're enough. God, you're more than enough. No matter what has just come at me, you've got me. You're strong enough. You know what's going on. Your grace is sufficient for me, God. You give, you take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The, uh, the message I, I mentioned earlier, the bad news that Lindsay and I received was sent from the, the son of the lady in question. And it just ended like this. It said this, it said, God knows our God reigns. It almost did me in when I read that, those three words, our God reigns. So powerful. Another sister in our church I was in touch with this week and is going through some really difficult circumstances. And uh, in the face of that ongoing struggle, she sent me this message in and it said this, God is good and I shall continue to count my blessings. So powerful. Because it's saying God is enough. God is all sufficient for me. And by the way, I have to say, it's one of the things that we're really missing in these days. Looking around the room, uh, people in various stages of need, seeing them there, seeing them clinging on to God's love or, or, or better, falling back into and being held by the everlasting arms of God in all sorts of difficult, difficult circumstances. Nehemiah is confronted with this hard news. He cares, he prays and he worships and so must we, dear friend. It must be our first priority. The first and greatest commandment, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. And Nehemiah does all of these things. Crucially, next point, recognizing he's not alone. Nehemiah remembers God's people. He remembers, he acknowledges that his connection with God is not private. It's about a people. Again, it would be very easy for us to miss this in these days. Your relationship with God, it's not private. It's not private. It exists within the context of the community of faith. Yes, Nehemiah appears to be praying on his own here, calling out to God on his own. But look what he's calling out for. Verse 6, he says, I pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you, even I and my father's house have sinned. He's praying for the whole community of God's people, acknowledging and confessing corporate sin together. Look at verse 7. Verse 7, we have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Dear friends, we have to remember Christianity is not about me and Jesus. Yes, every individual is loved by God. Yes, every individual is invited into God's love and, and new life in Christ. Yes, there is an individual response that is required, but that individual response leads us into life as God's people. It brings us in to the family of God. And this family is no longer delineated as it was in Nehemiah chapter 1 by ethnic boundaries, but this now is a family made up of all the peoples on the face of the earth. 
And we need to hold on to this reality. Nehemiah is conscious of it. In light of this difficult, challenging moment, he's not only asking, what do I need to do? But his eye is on the broader story of the whole people of God. And I think this is something that we have lost or are in danger of losing. We've made Christianity an individualistic spirituality. You sort yourself out over there. I'll sort myself out over here. But Nehemiah knows that is a diminished understanding of what God is calling us into. And therefore, in this time of need, he is thinking about not only what do I need to do here, but how do I pray for the whole people of God? That's important. I was once part of a local church where the leaders of another local church in that area came to us and shared with us and on behalf of their church wanted to confess and ask for forgiveness for something that had happened two decades ago. None of the leaders in that room had been involved in that, but they knew that there was a corporate repentance called for. It was one of the most humbling and beautiful meetings I've ever been a part of because they knew there's more going on here than just me and Jesus. Our church, our church family forms part of what God is doing in this world and that matters. And it matters for us when we encounter difficulty, when we encounter hard times, may we always remember we're in this together, in the good times and in the bad. And there's great hope here. There's great hope because the people in Jerusalem who were facing these walls broken down, the gates on fire, they needed Nehemiah to be praying 900 miles away. They needed him to understand that there was a, a, a corporate repentance called for, a corporate effort called for, for the sake of God and his kingdom. And it's the same in our church family. Those of you who are going through hard times just now need the prayers and the love and the care of people from all over the church family. Let us love one another and pray in light of our place within the family of God. So in the face of bad news, Nehemiah cared about it, even though it wasn't directly bothering his day, that particular day when he heard that news. He cares, he prays, he worships, he remembers God's people, and finally he remembers God's faithfulness. Nehemiah trusts in God's covenant faithfulness. He's already acknowledged this in his worship of God. Do you remember verse 5? He says, you're a God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. But the heart of his prayer now in terms of what he's going to ask of God is to call on God to be true to who he is as the covenant keeping faithful God of love. Look at verse 8 and 9. Here he comes to ask stuff of God. He says, remember God, remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there, says God. And, and Nehemiah is calling God, remember that. That's incredible, right? It almost sounds insolent, doesn't it? Of Nehemiah to pray like that. God, remember who you are. But Nehemiah knows that for God to be God means he does not break his commandments. So Nehemiah can pray boldly. Remember what you've said, God. Remember who we are. We are your people that you have chosen. Remember who you've called us to be. Remember how we are connected. 
And he quotes here in these verses from a number of passages in, in Deuteronomy, especially Deuteronomy chapter 30. And then he says, he reminds God, we are this people that you have chosen, that you've said you'll be faithful to, even when we're far off. Verse 10, they, the people in Jerusalem, your people are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. What is Nehemiah's hope in this circumstance when he's received this hard news it's not to hope in himself it's not the heel of the strength to make things right but he's saying thank you God for who you are ultimately because he's saying remember God that you're the God who keeps his promises remember that you're the God of great saving power remember that your love is steadfast even when we're cast off to the farthest corners of the globe remember that you never give up on your people and in that there's this thankfulness that wells up as well thank you God that this is who you are that you have a heart for those that will return to you you will gather them home and this is the mystery of faith it is those who will as it put in verse 9 it's those who will return to God he are the ones they are the ones that God will gather in God does it for any who will come to him God brings them in it's beautiful mystery and the question is how how does this happen Well, friends, it happens through Jesus Christ. He is the one through his death and resurrection who invites us in to God's new covenant of love. This new covenant is not just based on one people, one location, but now it is for all people everywhere who would come to Christ so that we can, like Nehemiah, when faced with awful difficulty, with sadness, loss, heartache, Yes, we can come and we can care about that and pray about that and we can bring our worship to God in light of that. But ultimately, we know we have hope. Our hope is that we can call on God's covenant faithfulness. Call God to remember not just his word to Moses, but call God to remember his ultimate fulfillment of all his plans and his purposes on the cross of Jesus Christ. That's our hope. That's our peace. That's how God will draw his people back to the place of his dwelling. Have you hoped in Jesus? No matter what sad news you could get this coming week, no matter how devastating a set of circumstances you might be facing, you can hope in Jesus, in his perfect love and his perfect sacrifice and you can rest in God's love in his perfect strong covenant faithfulness and you can say God remember what you've done remember who I am that I am your child hold on to me don't let me go remember that you will lead me home to eternity with you may you know that this week no matter what comes at you Call God to remember who he is and rest in his faithful covenant love through Christ. Amen.